Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Evan, take it away. Take it away, says Brandon. Uh, welcome to the B&E Podcast once more. Uh, today I'm very excited. Uh, have a friend of mine on the show who is also an extraordinary musician, composer, uh, music producer of sorts, and uh, has done some really crazy shows that I've seen and witnessed personally. Uh, so we got Sam Davidson. Hello, everybody. How's it going? And uh, also known as Skim Milk. That's right. As his recording artist's name. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. Everyone uh, needs a good hip-hop name, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pick Skim your own. Milton. Yeah. <laughs> it is, like except it, yeah. people might be surprised when they go and listen, and it's just like, oh, it's like jazz, like... It's this weird... Fusion, ambient, like... It's really great stuff. We'll provide a link for you uh, on the details for the for the site. And yeah, check out the website. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Sam just threw down a fantastic topic for us today. Uh, you just came back from a tour through Australia and Tasmania, um, doing shows all over the place. And you were saying that you, you, an interesting thing that you became aware of was how your relationship to your art and your craft and your music has changed from when you were a kid to now being a working professional. So I don't know, why don't you just elaborate a little bit on, on what some of those thoughts were? Well, I guess where it's coming from is, is sort of after, after all this time of, you know, studying music and going on to sort of pursue it professionally, you know, the, the role of music has changed for me. Um, I guess this is coming from feelings that I would see when I would go to see, you know, performer play, um, I don't know. I think when I was younger, I would get these these very visceral feelings from from hearing music like that. I don't think I think maybe you just feel them once or something like that. It's like this this very fresh, like vibrant feeling. And mm. and that's changed as, I, as I've gotten older and I I, I see music, uh, you know, I'm analyzing it and I'm thinking about it. And there's a, there's a lot more maybe depth to the experience and it, it becomes less. Um, it's, it's maybe a little less visceral. It's sort of more analytical. And I think, um, it's, it's just interesting. You have to ask yourself at these, these points in your career, like what, like why, why you're still pursuing what you're doing. You know, there has to be a reason. It can't just be the same reason that you were doing it when you were 14 or 15. It's got to make real sense in the context of, of a real life. And I guess that's, that's what we're talking about. Right. That's amazing. I, I, you know what? That's so so interesting. You brought that up because I've been thinking about a, that a lot, and I think I've talked about a bit on the podcast. Yeah, things definitely. have changed so much for me as an artist. Like it's, it's not really from the same place that it started. In a way, it is, but like there, I I needed to fill my why with new reasons. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's tricky. I was I was a little bit difficult to articulate, but I'm, I'm glad no, I got it. Yeah, yeah hey, you did that... really well. <laughs> The yeah. coming of age as an artist. <laughs> yeah, no, like we've definitely talked about it. And, and this is actually something that has only really entered my awareness probably within the last year where I've just gone like, yeah, like how much we cling to sort of our thoughts of what we wanted, our goals in life from when we were teenagers. And 
it, there's a bit of an insanity to it. I mean, there's also somewhat of a, there's kind of a beautiful thing about it too, where it's like, oh, you know, like these, the innocence of the dreams of your youth almost. But at the same time, there's a, a lot of like, at least for myself, I know a lot of my goals for when I wanted to, when I'm like, I'm going to be an actor. It was like, I wanted to be a movie star, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And now it's, yeah, like my relationship with, with, with it has changed so much, uh, in terms of, you know, like where, like, yes, there's certain, a, a grandiosity that's kind of amazing about that concept and that idea. And if it were to ever happen, you know, great. But you know, right, like now in my life, I'm just like, no, I've, it's, it's found a new depth to it. There's a new meaning to, to what I'm doing and how I'm, you know, extending that to the world around me. Mm. And it's, I couldn't have even conceived of that when I was, you know, a 15 year old, (laughs) you know, just trying to get laid or something like that. (laughs) As all artists probably are. I'll get into the arts. And 15-year-olds. <laughs> Some parents out there, 15? That's old these days, yeah, I, I feel. <laughs> anyway, um, so so tell us, uh, let's let's t- talk a little bit about your tour. Um, so you were in, you were touring Australia. It was, yeah. And uh, and how was that? What was what was your experience down, down under? I mean, Australia's a great place. Um, man, like, the great thing about touring anywhere is you just, you really come across a lot of, you know, generosity. People are always so accommodating and helpful to, especially to touring artists and stuff. Um, so, I mean, it's always, I mean, it's a great perk of the job is like seeing, you know, different places, different cities, different towns, different landscapes, albeit it's, it's short and it's fleeting. Yeah. And, uh, maybe it's not, uh, you don't get to go very deep in what you experience, but what you do, you know, is, is, is pretty awesome. Um, yeah. So the tour took me around, uh, Western Australia, Sydney, Melbourne, spent some time in Tasmania and then over to Western Australia. And so you said it's kind of fleeting. What I've never toured. So what, what, what is that like? Well, basically how it works is it's, uh, you know, it's really expensive to fly any amount of people overseas and to tour around. So you, you can't really afford to take days off. You want to try to be gigging every night. Right. the week. It's, uh, it's just, it's just really the only way it makes sense. So in that, in that you have to play a different city almost every day. You kind of are in this routine of you wake up around like nine or 10, uh, you go get breakfast with your, with your band and then you hit the road for probably, uh, anywhere from two to five hours. You got to go get gas. You got to make some phone calls. You got to, you know, do some things and then, then you pull into the next city around 6 PM and then you go to your sound check, you unload a car, yeah. you play a gig, you load the van back in, you go to a hostel, repeat. Yeah. That's touring. And you flew from Canada to Australia on this? Yeah. And so like you, you start right out the gate doing a gig, like, aren't you jet lagged and we're all, are, we are jet lagged. Yeah. You're, you're lucky if you get like one, one or two days before the actual touring starts. So in this, in this case, I had one, we had one rehearsal day. Uh, we spent maybe about four hours rehearsing and then just doing shows from there on out. Yeah. 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 That's the part they don't really tell you about (laughs) being a musician or being an artist like these, you know, this is the part of the industry that, you know, Oh, tour, it sounds so amazing. But then, you know, it takes some character and some discipline to be able to get up on stage. You're tired or whatever, exhausted. Definitely. 
you know, you got to be passionate about your art to kind of overcome probably the tiredness, I imagine. Yeah, it's been a real learning curve, like, you know, to think, you know, all the mistakes I've made on earlier tours in my life that you gradually learn, like, what your body is capable of withstanding, you know? Right, yeah. Uh, and, um... So, so yeah, I've been doing it a few years now, so it's, I don't, it's really about, like, yeah, keeping a good mental place and, like, just having strategies for dealing with being really tired and having to still be responsible to, you know, your duties and to your relationships with people you're going to be spending a lot of time yeah. with. What are some strategies, um, I mean, for those other musicians who are on the line, like, what are some strategies that maybe can help give them advice on what to do when they go on tour? Oh, well, I think... Uh, don't drink too much. <laughs> I'm sure that's a common. That's like number one. That's like the first. Everyone's got to make that mistake. Yeah. I mean, some people are just naturally accustomed to that sort of lifestyle. You know, but not all of us are. And if, if you're not, you know, you should you should not drink too much and you should go to bed early. Yeah, going on tour isn't going to change that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I want to be a rock star. <laughs> you know, like know know your music really well. You know, you're there ultimately. Like like touring is about is about the shows and it's about you know playing playing for people and uh, doing the best job you can um so i mean there's always there's the performance sort of dynamics of touring and then there's the band dynamics and they're they're, they're two different things you know um and they're kind of autonomous to each other because the show is this place where you can sort of forget all of the day's trials and tribulations and you're just there to do one thing and I feel like those are the moments when being on tour, being far away from your family and your comforts for a long period of time makes sense, is when you're, you're playing shows, when you're seeing uh, you know, people enjoy themselves. And I think this sort of goes back, this is sort of where I had this epiphany, was on this tour, I became very aware that the, the, um, the gratifying thing for me, the thing that I was really taking away and that made me happy was seeing people smiling and being engaged in the music that's when I realized that wow this is this is actually why I'm doing this this is mm. why I'm traveling and why I'm pursuing my art it's literally to see these people smile yeah. you know and uh but I don't think it's necessarily always been like that I think when you're younger whereas when I was younger I think I, I came into music as you know this time in my life when I probably needed some outlet for expression and um and I sort of grasped, I latched onto the clarinet and I was, had a kind of a natural thing going. So I, I really went for it and I got a lot of positive feedback from my peers, from adults and mentors in my life and a lot of people helping me. And I think uh, what was really driving that was the feedback and the encouragement and the, the building of confidence. And it was really a little more centric to, to myself and my own growth. Right. Um, you know, <clears throat> as time goes on, you know, playing music, you know, these people aren't surrounding you for your whole adult life, you know, giving you a pat on the back for everything you do. You have to learn to, to, to just feel good about, you know, work mm. and, and getting things done. And so maybe that you sort of lose a little something there. But uh, so now I, I think the gratifying thing is, is seeing an audience be happy as opposed to needing it for building my own confidence and my own sense of self. Right. Right. Yeah, I can relate to that. And I think that's huge. Um, <clears throat> you know, so many people, like I, I screenwrite a lot. That's kind of where I've been really pushing my career. And um, a lot of people, you know, I was just talking to someone yesterday and they say, writing is like the hardest thing because you're like alone. And like, you, you don't really get a lot of gratification as a writer. Not until, 
maybe finally someone's like, okay, this script we can do something with. But it's like so much time on your own, like writing and creating and, you know, hating your own work and stuff. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, it, it's, it's, in, it's an interesting thing because you, you know, I think you have to really enjoy the creation of the process and also, um, not make it about you and what you do, you know, because one thing I've learned as a writer is, is, and I talk a lot of this on the show is to not judge my work as I'm doing it. Because I, if anything, what I try to do is actually, I've thought a bit about this because Evan and I were talking about this last, he's writing a book, but I try to sit back as I'm writing in a weird way. It feels like almost like some, something's writing through me because I thought about it. I'm like an audience member as I'm writing it. I'm like trying to watch it like a movie, mm-hmm. but like let it flow through me. Cause I've already done the work on the characters and stuff. And then experience it as opposed to being like this critic who's like going, this doesn't work. This character isn't flawed enough. This dialogue thing is whatever cliche, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, like I think, um, also as a, as a, as a musician, there's a lot of time where you're alone too, like writing your songs and practicing and all that stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's very, very little of your career is really on stage, you know? Absolutely. But, but it's nice to see those smiling faces when you're there. But I imagine there's a lot of time where you're, <laughs> you know, figuring yeah. out what's the song I'm going to do. And yeah. you're not staring at a smiling face. You're <laughs> looking at your reflection in a computer exactly. screen or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. You're just looking at that, that like vague reflection of yourself wondering, why am I doing this? <laughs> Why am I still here? Why haven't I gone to bed? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, um, is there, um, uh, there's so many questions I have for you. Um, but like, is, uh, how is it with the band? Like, do you find that, um, there's some infighting and stuff? Oh, someone's gardening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you find there's infighting and, and things that go I on? I mean, there definitely, there definitely can be. And, uh, I think if you put any, any random assortment of people together, you know, things are going to happen on a day to day. Uh, you know, often in the case of, in the case of touring, like you are, you, you simply are matched up with people you've never met before. Um, generally with that particular band, Jaron Freeman Fox and the opposite of everything, like this amazing fusion band. It's a, you know, I've toured with the band for about five years and it's a little different each time. There's always new people. And, uh, you know, you're going to spend, uh, you know, basically 24 seven with these people for the next uh, four or five weeks. And, yeah. and, um, so the, the band that you played with were, were they people that you came across with or do you, met up with over there well they were all from the band is based in toronto so they were primarily all toronto musicians and they flew over together and i the one west coaster for this tour met up with them and right yeah but you've you've played with them before and i played with some of them but we i've played we've all played the same songs we have the songs in common right yeah or i should say the mp3s that i was sent to learn in common (laughs) okay See, this is a side of the industry that people don't always hear about. Like, how does that work? That's fascinating. Well, I mean, everyone's got their own strategy to run a band. Like, I actually really, really like the way Jaron does it. You know, he'll, he'll, he really wants to put on a good show and, you know, all good shows like in music and theater should be memorized. You shouldn't be reading off of lines or reading your music. This happens sometimes in different genres, but I think ultimately the best stuff in the world is always memorized. And so, uh, I think Jaron has written music, but he, he prefers to just send, uh, record live recordings, demo recordings, and you simply have to 
pick up the tracks by ear. Right. Um, which requires a lot of repetition, a lot of practice, but it's just so much better once you internalize all that. Hopefully, before you get to the gig, yeah, that's the strategy. There's only so as only so far you can take it until you need to kind of introduce it to other uh, live musicians. But uh, yeah, so you, you prep, you know, in front of your computer, uh, inch by inch, learning this music, and then yeah. you show up and have one rehearsal, wow. and then play. Yeah, that's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. So I mean, I'm sure that um, like touring was maybe one of those. Just sort of bring this back to like our our topic to start off with. Did you have like because you've done a few tours now, but like when you when you first had ideas, maybe before you'd gone on your first tour or during your first tour, like sort of a, a romanticized idea of what of what the touring life was going to be. Well. Incidentally, the first I sort of lucked out in my career in that the first tour I ever got to do was with Brastronaut, and um, they got this opportunity to play this festival, Iceland Airwaves, in Reykjavik, which is just one of the best festivals you know anywhere. It's like right. a total party, and so that was sort of my introduction. I was about twenty-five, and um, it was just pure thrill. It was like we were all paying to be there, but it was like the best time ever. And, uh, yeah, so I think it was sort of, uh, it sort of gave me this misconception because I, I, that was probably the one week I've ever partied so hard in my life. And I remember (laughs) I was sick for about two months once I got back. (laughs) I simply couldn't recover. And, uh, (laughs) so yeah, that was like one hard lesson learned. And, uh, I don't think all, all tours are like that or should be like that. So I'll yeah. take that one little nugget of an experience and, and I'll, I'll cherish it, but I don't think I'll ever be repeating it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hmm. Ooh, that's cool. Um, so, so when, so you were saying like, uh, when you started, when you started out as a kid, it was more, um, of an experience that you had from the music and, and your why has changed mm-hmm. a lot. So like, maybe you can tell us a little bit about like, how, how is that? Like, what, what do you think? Like, um, when you were younger, was it more like, I want to do music because I want to be, I want to be the person I'm listening to? Or was it like, I want to be a big deal? Uh, I know as an actor for me, like I was like, I pretty much just wanted to be a movie star. I think like in a big way, yeah, but well, you things pro- change, right? Yeah. You maybe yeah. you wanted to be like, like one particular movie star. I, yeah. I definitely had mentors and I, uh, you know, or other musicians I looked up to, I was really into this guy, Don Byron, this, uh, you know, this really cool, clarinetist from New York and I, I was kind of really obsessed with him and, and uh, his music and I would yeah it's sort of I think it, emulating is, is something that a lot of artists start from um, yeah and I remember it was just very exploratory I remember just these feelings of things always sounding new and always looking for that you know going to the record store and just like see looking at all those discs was like this this like experience lottery you know it's like which I'm looking for that one special record that's going to you know, give me that feeling, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, cause I think things were new, right? you know, I hadn't seen a lot in my, you know, but now I've, you know, I've heard and seen a lot of music and, um, and so yeah, it's changed a bit. Yeah. You know, the perception has changed. Right. And do you find that you have to comment on what you said to start? Do you, do you find you are still able to find music that gives you that visceral thing where you can just experience it and not sort of be dissecting like how it's being done or what's being done. I can, but I feel like it's a lot harder 
it's like a lot harder to find that. Right. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, occasionally I do, and I think it, uh, what's changed a lot in, in is there's not a lot of mystery to music anymore with the accessibility to everything, and I think back in the days of, you know, CDs and jewel cases, it was really like, you got a, you got the CD and it was like this untapped, you know, little treasure, but right. now you kind of, we consume everything in this sort of singular sense. It's like one thing at a time. And so I think maybe that, maybe that's why it's harder because it right. feels easier to find. Hmm. I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I know for like myself with music, like when I was, when I was in high school and stuff, like I loved like mix CDs and stuff like that, you know, like there were, and there was a lot of them at the time, like there was now and like big shiny tunes <laughs> and all of those things. And it was like, I was a person who, you know, was kind of more of like a radio person, like top 40, like give me like a mix and of singles and stuff like that. And now like I'm I, like, I, that's not really how I consume music anymore. That's not even really how I want to listen to it. Like I'm, I'm always looking for albums. Like I want to find an artist who puts out a great album where I can listen to that thing front to back. And it's going to take me on some kind of a journey. Mm -hmm, You know, like mm -hmm. it's just, you can feel, you know, that there, there's not really a word for it, but it just, there's a certain quality to it. There's a certain honesty and integrity to the music that you can just sort of feel in it, you know, mm. when you find that and it just permeates throughout the whole thing from the first track to the last track. And that's what I look for. To me, that's the sign of like a great, a great artist. Otherwise I'm like, I don't care if you really put out mm-hmm. like a couple of, a couple of hit songs and then the rest is just sort of, you know, filler bubble gum kind of crap. You yeah. Know? Like yeah, it's right. just like, that's, that's not really what it's all about, which is why I think, I gravitate a lot myself towards, you know, like bands from like days of yore, you know, like those, those, and why I've gotten back into like doing the vinyl thing for risk of hipsterizing myself. <laughs> um, but just don't dress like that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just like, I've like, you know, I just the other day I found like a bunch of, so like I found some Fleetwood Mac on vinyl, some Stevie Wonder, some Joe Cocker, um, found, uh, found Bob Marley's Exodus album, which I was just like, Oh my God, it was just insane. But it's like when the thing I loved about that vinyl era was there's some, there was something that felt very intentional about the whole thing. You know, it's just like, it was like act one and act two. Mm-hmm. And, and it was all to fit within that medium of how, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. of how that worked. Right. And it was, and, and there was an integrity to the music, not, not all of it, but I felt like to a larger degree, there was, there's a, a lot of integrity to the music of that time. Mm. And yeah, it was about creating something that was just like more than just a couple of hit, mm-hmm. hit songs. Not that that wasn't important at the time. It's like, Oh, we want something that'll be play great on the radio. But then you pick up the album and you discover that that's, that's not even your favorite song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's always a nice surprise. I mean, I think that, I think that hit of a song is there to attract you to the album and then you go and look at the album um and i found that with a few of my favorite musicians it's like usually i heard their hit or something and then i went and i checked out their cd and i I found that a lot of their other songs were a lot better than the initial song that i that attracted me to it and 
um, I find that it's it's interesting. Actually, there's one band, and I'm totally blanking on their name at the moment. It'll come to me. But um, they have a song at the end of their one of their first CDs, which is 16 minutes long or something. They can't play that on the radio. It just it's not. Well, they could, but people don't. And um, but it's awesome. And I remember I was listening to it with a friend, and it has these changes. Like the song is almost like seven different songs in one, but each change is unique and cool and. And it's almost like follows a narrative, you know, mm-hmm. like almost like a short film. And as you're going through it, you're just like, wow, this is an experience, you know? And, and when I hear that song, whenever I think of that song, which I totally blank, I'm totally blanking on it all. I'm going to have to put it in the credits. <laughs> it's the song in the credits that of, of this <laughs> podcast that I am not remembering right now. <laughs> That's what we put in there. <laughs> I'm going to figure it out later. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I, I find it's amazing um, just how like things that are not always the hit are actually yeah yeah well yeah and a single singles are chosen with sort of that in mind like the single is sort of the thing that's it's like the hook that's gonna get you the rest of the fish you know like you bands spend a lot of time sort of you know you choose the single because you need it to be the most accessible one that's going to get the most radio play and it's going to get the most audience a just for getting audience and b for radio royalties. Um, because you need to have some sort of leverage there to make some money. So, I mean, that is exactly why singles are chosen. Right. right. That's interesting. You know, um, when, uh, when I could teach screenwriting, right. And so when we're doing the screenwriting, I usually tell people to leave the hook or the bait in the hook of their script until the very end, until after they've done it. Because then in context, you'll have a better bait hook part of your story, which is usually the first. Nowadays, it used to be 10 pages, they used to say, but now it's really about seven or three pages, really. Mm-hmm. But I always like, leave that part until the end. Don't even make a decision on that, because you, you'll probably come up with some hook that is like totally out of context of the integrity of your story. But because it's like, and, and the most common one you see, and if you ever read a lot of scripts, is someone takes something that's about 70% through the script or near the end of the script, throw it at the beginning and then go, wait till this happens. <laughs> Just watch the rest of the movie until we get to this point. But it's so overdone now that that's like almost like whenever you do it, it almost doesn't work anymore, mm-hmm. but that's where most people start. So I always find it's better to write your script and then at the end, then figure out how you're going to start it. Right. But don't figure out how you're going to start it until the end, because the start is what's going to hook everyone in, in many ways, to the rest of the movie. Interesting. So I wonder, as a musician, if you should write all your other songs before you write your hit. Because I think if musicians try to write their hit off the start, if it's anything like screenwriting, I think you're going to screw yourself over, because it's going to put too much pressure on you to come up with this you know, song that everyone's going to like, right? <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> well, that's an interesting, interesting strategy. I mean, I'm, I think... I think any type of any, any way of alternating your process is, is definitely like good. It's like right. good to do and it may yield excellent results or maybe it won't. <laughs> yeah. But it's yeah. probably all circumstantial to that one, one use. But, um, yeah. Tell like how, what's, what's your process like in, in terms of songwriting? Cause I know you, you write, write music and you're like, you're very much in, in the jazz world, mm-hmm. like in jazz and fusion and stuff. Not so much lyrical. No, instrumental. Yeah. Yeah. Instrumental music. Um, well, you know, like, I guess my process has, it's changed a lot. Like it's, I've, I've sort of fine tuned it in the last few years. Like I, being that I come from like a jazz and classical background, uh, you know, I used to, when I used to write music, I would be trying to write at the piano and writing out, you know, music notation on pencil and paper. And, um, 
which has a lot of limitations because you you really can't see the finished product until you get other musicians to play it and realize these little pencil marks you've made all over a piece of paper. So <laughs> yeah, I I got really frustrated with that, and I and I eventually I got into uh, you know using the computer to produce music, which uh, was just so amazing. Was such a huge change creatively for me um, because it allows for this instant realization of, of what you're trying to achieve and and uh, the more you know the the better you can get at realizing that musical vision you have and so so now I would say my process is uh, I I like to use a sample as a as a source point for for a song so it could be like a, a patch on a synthesizer or a clip a little drum clip from an old record and um, I sort of listen to that sample and I can sort of, you got to hear what's inside the sample. There's notes there, there's things happening that maybe you're not aware of. And so you kind of just try to squeeze out, uh, you know, sort of the, the, the melodic or harmonic essences that are sort of going on. And then that becomes, you know, your foundation. And then you add, you just keep on adding layer by layer by layer um, over a period of, you know, I don't know, a month to six months to a year, just tinkering away slowly. Wow. Um, just, yeah, recording clarinet tracks, you eat things, piano, editing, slash and burn, put back things, you know, you just gotta, you gotta really crunch it out sometimes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And feel free to like be able to just throw things out. Oh yeah. Completely. Like, I think that's, that's one of the big changes is, uh, the more I do, the more I realize it's, it's, you have to create this volume of material and then just, you know, just cut it back Right. find the good stuff you got to make so much crap to make one thing that's all right. You know? And, <laughs> and I think is, that I hear that yeah. again and again, and it's, it's so true. And, and it, it's, it's really like a, it's like a skill to learn how to just, just detach yourself from things. Cause sometimes you just, you get a little too into this one little lick you did or this, you know, this, you really attach this one, this one line, you know, but it's really just, is it that good? Really? No get rid of it. Yeah. You know, this is, I love hearing this from a musician because it's just so not my medium of art, but to hear you say that is, um, it's, it's really rewarding for me right now because as a screenwriter, that's exactly it. You've got to just create a whole bunch of crap and then you're going to start coming up with something good, you know, and that's really it. And uh, also you said something else in that little, uh, spiel too, which was, you said about how you're, using a computer to experience the art that you're creating in a different way. And actually I've been dabbling with that too, from my story concept place, which is, um, I started, I've been starting to try it. I don't know how effective it will be. We'll see, but, um, is to cut a trailer just with stock footage of anything, you know, just to try something out to see how, how it looks. And I find that, um, you know, it, it, it's interesting because I, th- I think a lot of time when I create a story, it always starts from one little inspiration, you know, and I find that the trailer is kind of a unique way to do it because you kind of cut this thing together and there's some moment in it, which is like, at least I'm, I'm finding that. Like I had this, uh, this idea the other day, which was literally sparked by one image. And then the whole rest of the dam came after that image, but I had to kind of like find that image. And once that image came, the whole story kind of just unfolded before me. I imagine music would almost be like that too, where you're, you're trying to write a song, you're trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to write my song about? And then there's probably a moment where you go, oh, okay, 
and if you if you can kind of almost connect to it and experience it, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm this is new for me as a, as a writer, but right. I'm finding it's it's unlocking a certain part of my creativity. I haven't really accessed that way like actively. Like I found that most of my inspiration comes from. I'm just randomly walking down the street or I'm hanging out at a party and all of a sudden I go, there's an idea, <laughs> you know, but this way to actually like be mindful, to be able to create my image, to like put myself in a situation where I could possibly facilitate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, I found those, those comments you said kind of interesting cause I find it to be, I find it so similar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? I bet it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, to, to come like back. So like you, you started writing music when you when you first began like yeah. pencil paper you're writing notation yeah. out like and, and I imagine that that is out of some sort of a concept of how you thought you were supposed to do it yeah yeah I mean I can I can remember <laughs> I can remember like I, th- I feel like composing music was always something I, I really thought was awesome something I really wanted to do and but it's it's very difficult you have to know a lot about how music works to actually you know, be good at this because there's a lot of things going on. I can remember being like, like maybe 13 and like really just, I, I'm going to sit, I'm going to write a, my first song tonight. I'm going to do this and sitting down with my pencil and, and just writing these notes on and not being able to like hear what I'm doing and just getting so frustrated looking at this page, knowing that these little notes don't make any sense at all. And like, <laughs> I, like just like, I can't, I don't understand, you know, like, I just did not have the goods to do it. I, why isn't this working? Why can I not write a song? It's like, well, well, listen, you got a long way to go, kid. Yeah. You know, so, uh, yeah, but it was, it was, that was how I knew music to be stuff notated on paper. And that's what I thought I had to do. And, um, and I think when you, when you are sort of fostered in that sort of environment, you sort of think maybe other ways of learning music are like, they're not as, uh, they're not like up to snuff or something like that. Right. Or like that folk musician who, who doesn't know what chords he's playing on the guitar is somehow his music is not as, as good as your mm-hmm. notey music. Yeah. But you know, eventually you realize that that's a big lie that, you know, maybe some sort of classical dogma got on your head or something, but music, uh, you know, no matter how, how deep you go into theory is, is, is or the tech, the technical aspects of it is, it's all the same at the end. Like, and the, the longer I go in this, the more and more I just realize that, like, music, it's all the same everywhere. It's just how you're looking at it. Hmm. You know, you can't, you can't really judge, judge anything as being yeah. better or worse. So when you say it's all the same, I just want to, I just want to hear your thoughts a little bit more on that. How, well, like, how just, for you is it all the same? Well, because I think, I think it has to do with the intention of what, what, and music is ultimately trying to achieve, and that is to entertain people. And, you know, if, if you can do that with an ADP symphony, that's great. But, and, I, and I've seen captivated audiences uh, at symphony concerts because the show is just that, that good of energy and musicians just working so well together that, you know, these can be really epic, awesome performances. But by the same, I've seen a single singer-songwriter completely obliterate everyone in a room, you know, and... Um, as long as the result and the, and the intention are the same, it really doesn't matter how, how that music is, you know, being created. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's a, that's a good way to look at it. I, you know, I, I keep trying to parallel, I keep trying to parallel back to, um, to writing too. It's like, uh, you know, you can have a two, two person, 
um, play or something that's just so compelling. And mm-hmm. then you're going to have this blockbuster movie where there's the biggest action sequences in the world. And at the end of the day, both can be just as compelling. And I think that uh, sometimes people think they want something more than than they know what they want, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, someone just plays the piano and it's just them playing the piano. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, that's, that's all you needed. You, you know, in fact, if you added anything else to it, it would be too much. You know what I mean? But like, I think it's great when people can put together the whole orchestra and put together the whole thing. But sometimes that simplicity, like I've been around, like, uh, I'm thinking of a moment where I was down in, um, down at this beach in Mexico. I don't even know where I was, but, um, some, I met some people, they took me down there. We're sitting around a fire one night and people just started passing around the guitar. And there were some moments that night that were just like, they're, they're, they're as good as any concert I've ever been to. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, and, and they were so simple. It was just a guitar around a fire. And I think sometimes there's a unique quality that comes out of an artist. And I think if we learn to trust that, that we don't necessarily need all this surrounded stuff to be, to be what we can be. I think that's an important thing to remember, you know? Yeah. Well, I think it has a lot to do with, with you as the listener, like, a, you know, it has a lot to do with the audience. And I think this sort of comes back to the, to the initial topic of, is just like, um, like in terms of my music, um, you know, now what it, what is, what is positive and, and awesome about it is, is, is making an audience feel good. And, and, and if you think about like, what, what does an audience want when they go to a show, what when they go to see a play or go see a movie or go see music, like it's, it's actually very simple what they're looking for. They're not necessarily looking for the awesomest car chase scene or the most wicked guitar solo. They're, they're looking to see, um, people enjoying themselves. They're looking to, to sort of be part of that, you know, expression and, and be there to witness, you know, so, you know, yeah. something entertaining and, right. and, and fun. Yeah. Um, so when you think about it in, in, in that sense, you, it's, you really, you don't really have to di- differentiate between the art too much. It's really just about what, what the art accomplishes. It seems like, um, there could be a lot of distraction that comes with thinking that you would need it to be any more than that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's where we get confused, you know? Uh, and, um, I don't know, like one of the things that I've definitely been working on a lot is to be detached from my art in certain ways, you know, and to not see my art as me, but just something that, that is an expression. It's, it's, it's expression of me. It's something I like to do, you know, um, as opposed to being attached to it and then being attached to the results of it. Right. Because, I think that those results are really what distract me and also detract me from actually being genuinely creative. I was having a talk last night with someone about screenwriting and um, <clears throat> we we're talking about all these great scripts, like uh, great shows like Homeland and Bloodline and uh, I mean, you name it, uh, Breaking Bad, whatever. We we're, we're talking about all these shows and we we're talking about flawed characters in particular and how a lot of these shows have really, really flawed characters. And uh, you and I had this discussion, Evan, but uh, how I think sometimes as writers, and I know I'm, I'm guilty of this, whereas I, I protect my characters. I don't make them as flawed as they could be. I don't put them in as much turmoil as I could. And, um, and I think part of it, and you mentioned this, it was actually you who pointed this out to me, Evan, which is like, as screenwriters, sometimes we have such pressure to feel like we need to make our characters likable 
that we don't take risks with making them unlikable <laughs> by making them so flawed. We're like, how could anyone like this person? You know what I mean? But really I'm starting to find that if I just trust that instinct to go all the way into the flaw, that my scripts and my stories will be substantially better. And I think that the idea I have of what I need to do as a writer detracts from my actual writing to actually write something that's really important and powerful. And, uh, this has kind of been an awareness that was kind of actually has been coming up over the last few days. And then last night kind of came to a head. So I was thinking of asking you that as an artist, like when you're creating a song, there's probably two, two brains going at one point, you know, you're thinking, what do I need to do to like have people enjoy it? But what do I need to also express myself the way that I want to express myself? Well, this is really funny because, you know, if I may just frame it in another context, like I, I make like instrumental, you know, clarinet electronic music. So, so there's only a certain like part of the market that's for me and it's, it's not a very big one. And, and that's something I have to sort of reasonably accept. So, so that discussion between, you know, am I trying to, to please the audience too much or please myself? It's, <laughs> it's really not that big of a deal because I make right. clarinet electronica. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so well, that's, that's, that's a so, nice break. <laughs> so I kind of, I, I don't spend I don't spend too much time thinking about whether someone's going to like my weird niche music, but I, I try to think about the components of what I'm doing. Right. Like, am I improvising too much? Is that going to be maybe not so engaging as as putting making this melody good, right? Uh, or making this melody stronger? Or maybe maybe I should make the section a little longer because it's a little funky. People will enjoy listening to that. So um, yeah, it's really like uh, like like whether it's going to have some mass pop appeal is, is really not, mm. not from, it's not a care of mine, but I, I do like to, to think about the components of the song and, um, and how they'll relate to someone listening to it. Yeah. And obviously that's something that's really important to you because that's something that we talk about a lot, like in terms of, you know, film and, and whether you're a director or you're a writer where it's like, yeah, I mean, there's these, there's these certain almost sort of you know, pressures on one side to, to please the crowd. Right. But sometimes you might have, uh, things that you want to do with it that you might feel are going to fly against that. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and finding how you can, you can do that because neither one we like to say are, is better than the other. You know, it's like, cause you can take either way, like once, like too far, like for in the movie example, you know, it's like you can make an ultra commercial blockbuster movie and it will be so like just vacuous and like empty of anything. At the same time, you know, there's these art house films that were seemingly made for nobody but the director writer, you know, who made it, yeah. right? And nobody understands it. Like nobody can grasp it. And then at that point you have to ask, well, then what's the point? Mm -hmm. You know, if nobody can really consume it, like if nobody can really understand what's happening or like you say, be entertained, like for me, the word and like to entertain an audience is in some ways the same, same way of being like, well, how do you, how do you bring joy to that person? Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that you can't take on 
some really heavy sort of material. It doesn't mean you can't take something dark mm-hmm, on, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But there's got to be, for me, there's always got to be this sort of this element of joy that's in all of it, you know, for an audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something, something compelling about it, you know, to, to make it seem relevant. Yeah. Yeah. And special. You know, I mean, I mean, if I find this, you know, cause I, I play, as I said, like I play a, a very niche instrument and niche style of music and in particular, uh, with the band that I was in Australia with, it's, it's like a world music fusion band. Now it's, it's, you know, it's not exactly like your general type of music. It's a very specific, uh, genre that, you know, maybe the, the, the actual market is like a, a very specific market. That being said, um, the interesting thing is we can go to some random part of the world and play a show in some city we've never been for people who've never seen the band. And even though the music would be, you know, quote unquote, you know, a very specific, uh, for a very specific demographic of people, the show is, is well done and it's engaging. The music is really fun to watch and no, it's not going to be on, you know, the peak or something like that. <laughs> it's, but people are the audiences are totally blown away irregardless. Yeah. And, and I think we, we pop music would have us think that the regular person can't relate to some prog jazz or some fiddle music, but actually they can. Mm. People can relate to anything that where they see these elements of joy, where they see these elements of, of, uh, you know, skill, this realization of talent, you know, anyone can relate to that. Right. And I think that's overlooked. You know, it's, it's so, it's so interesting that you, you bring that up too, because I think like, um, as a writer, um, one, I mean, one of the big things right now in my career is just about, you know, getting these scripts made and getting, getting hired and, and doing that. Um, but I am, I am kind of like, um, I think I went from, uh, there was a turning point where I kind of went more into commercialism as a writer where I started really, I think the turning point was when I really started creating concepts. Like I'd have concept outlines and, and ideas and visuals I could show or whatever. And I could have an idea and I could tell someone and they go, that sounds like a great idea. And I actually kind of, uh, about several months ago, I kind of started putting my screenwriting, even though I screen right now, it's like kind of more of a thing. I, I started writing novels because I realized that with novels, I didn't have as much restriction. And then this kind of blossomed into a thing where I started to realize that I think that a lot of time, and especially with screenwriting, and I imagine it's the same for music, where you think you need to write a certain kind of script, you know, uh, and it needs to be, there's a lot of pressure. Producers and, and all this, they put a lot of pressure on you to, to produce a certain type of story. And you think, you start thinking, this is what I need to do. But um, I think what I'm realizing as a writer is like, my job is not so much to try and fit exactly what they're trying to look for, but it's, I need to be aware of that, but I need to actually try to listen to like, what's the story I really want to tell? Because when I connect to that, that's actually what's really compelling to people. Like, I know it sounds, it almost sounds silly, like to say it this way, but I don't, I think you need to go through this transition as an artist. You need to like be an artist for, because you love art. Then interact with commercialism, maybe swing a little too far into commercialism and experience what that is, but then somehow pull yourself back out of that and find your artistic roots again, but with the awareness of the commercialism you have. You know what I mean? I think that's where you really truly get a voice. But I think if you're just an artist or just all commercial, 
you're too far on those spectrums, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and also even like, even the instrument you chose, you know, I think you started from a great place because you chose an instrument that for whatever reason interested you, not in something that's like, like, I mean, I think a lot of people probably pay, play the guitar or they play the drums or they play the bass because they're like, or they sing or they do something because they're like, this will work, you know? But that's like been, t- we've been told that our whole life. We've been told that those are the instruments that bands use, right? But like, I find some of my favorite bands usually have a violin in them a lot of the time. Cause I, like, it's just, and that person doesn't get the necessary always they claim, but their part comes up and I'm like, this part is awesome. Nice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or did the clarinet choose you? <laughs> <laughs> the clarinet well, tell, did tell us about that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess you, you got to get choosing instruments somehow. I was really, I had my my dad was uh, played fiddle and guitar and stuff. I, I I think I tried playing those instruments when I was younger, but I never really caught on. And I think I was eleven. My mom wanted me to take music lessons, and I really wanted to take a flute. I wanted to study the flute. It was like my go-to <laughs> mom. I want to learn flute, but uh, my aunt happened to have a clarinet in her basement, and so it got uh, vetoed, and I got a free clarinet. <laughs> and I, uh, yeah, it was like it was like love at first sight with that thing. Wow, I remember it. Well, I mean, yeah, you know, it's interesting how these th- these things come about because the fact there was a clarinet available was part of the reason, which just defines so much of your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's. That's that's kind of I think how this stuff happens, you yeah. know, like because you're presented with this tool as a as a young young man or you know whatever, and um, you 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 get this opportunity to to do that, and then you you take it on and you go wow I really like this, and now all of a sudden your whole career. <laughs> well, yeah, it's funny, and then for, I think for a lot of that time, like I said when I was younger, it's like there's a lot of lot of people going, hey, you're good at this, keep going, kid, you know, like you know, shuffling you along and you just, you just go and then, but then eventually you reach this point, you know, maybe you finished a degree in something or some sort of professional training and then you're out in the world and you're just going, um, what? <laughs> <laughs> Where's all the opportunity and all the people clapping and yeah, and that's, that's just a whole different ball game. And that, uh, I think you really, only time will tell yeah. who, who, who lasts the ba- who yeah. lasts through that battle. So the how, training wheels are off. Yeah. How did you last through that battle? Oh, finding a cheap place to live. <laughs> or sometimes no, it's just something practical. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, touring you know, was was the most affordable option because it would be a month that I didn't have to pay rent. Right. Yeah. You know? Wow. Very cool. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, you know, I've survived so far. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Still. Never to never too too proud to to take a day job or take a few shifts somewhere if I need to get by. You know, mm-hmm. you know it's interesting. Uh, actually, um, well, I think it's interesting. <laughs> but I was having a, a realization this week um, where I had this. I had that one one day this week where I was. Um, I just came home at the end of the day, and I started to feel really really low. And I was like, I was like, man. And, and you know, cause cause being an artist is, it has its ups and downs, as you guys know, but I was feeling the down of the, of the artistry, you know, I was feeling the, like, oh man, things are not working out quite the way that I was hoping they would work out right now, and I was starting to think about my choices, and I was starting to think, man, like, maybe I should have just made some smarter choices, like, and I was really beating myself up, I'm like, I should have just got a normal job, <laughs> made some money, and got a house, and whatever, and, uh, and, you know, all this stuff, 
And, um, and then I realized I sat down, I'm like, okay. Cause my, my, one of my practices right now is when you're feeling something, make that feeling. Okay. Don't try and avoid it. Don't try and do anything, but just go into it, you know? So I went into it and I looked at it. I'm like, what is this feeling? And I started writing a bit and I realized as I wrote that the feeling I was having was, I was going to have it either way that whether I did the right thing, you know, the quote unquote society thing, like, you know, did the right job, whatever, I would have probably been upset that I never did my dream or my vision of my art. But now I'm doing my art and I'm thinking, man, I should have done this. But the feeling was going to happen either way. And the story I was telling around it was kind of irrelevant, really, but I would make up any story. And the thing is, is what I realized is like, oh, you know what, this feeling is natural. It's just given me an awareness that the choices I made are the choices I made. And that's what I valued and everything's okay. And all of a sudden, after that happened, the feeling just like, dissipated. And all of a sudden I started feeling really good. I was like, finding that was really interesting because like you're talking about, yeah, like I couldn't pay rent. And I was thinking, yeah, but you're doing what you love. You know what I mean? Cause what's the alternative? You paid rent, but you weren't doing what you love. Yeah. So what would you rather have? I think this is the kind of, this is kind of what we're trying to talk about on this podcast is like, is it worth sometimes giving up some of these comforts or these things you're supposed to have, you think you're supposed to have, so you could do something you love or are you willing to give up the thing you love and you really want to do so you can have the things that we think we're supposed to have, these comforts and whatever. And neither is right or wrong, but I think we're all trying to find that balance in our, in our artistic endeavors. Well, it's like whatever, whatever balance you choose, you know, some of us, you know, need different things in our lives. Whatever, whatever that arrangement is between your home and your art, you have to, you have to find whatever it is that, that you, where you can be happy with yourself and your contributions to, you know, the aspect of your regular life and your career life. You know, I think, I think the real skill is like learning how to realize that maybe you can't have it all ever. Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's a lesson I'm learning. (laughs) It's like, and I don't think you need to have it all, but there is this part of me that's like, Oh, I need to have it all to be okay. But I don't, you know, it's, well, I mean, then, then, then you what are you going to do? You can add, add just the whole existential question of like, well, what does all even mean? You mm-hmm, know, like, right. is like, is that just some sort of a diluted concept mm-hmm. that we've all, you know, bought into? Uh, it's like, you know, maybe we do have it all, you know, you could just keep going down that rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, what do you really need Yeah. at the end of it all? Right. Yeah. Zen Buddhism. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, for me, it's still, it, it all comes down to like, just as my personal opinion, it's still, it all comes down to joy, you know, follow the joy, follow the love, like through mm-hmm. your whole life. It might sound, you know, really naive. It might sound really, um, I'm hundred, you know, you know I don't hear that. I'm hundred percent with you. Like, yeah, I agree. Like, like that's, that's, that is, that is the key. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's makes things real simple. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all these questions like, well, you know, it's like, if you're not following the joy, then what's, then what's the point? If you're not following that and you're just settling for something else, then what are you, what is it that you're actually settling for? Yeah. You know, and I think when you say follow the joy too, it's not about follow the fleeting feeling of happiness, but follow the feeling of, cause I think joy comes from a place of I think it comes from a place of passion and excitement and curiosity. And I think it's like, follow that because that's where, I think that's where joy comes from, at least for me, but whatever that joy is for you. But I think, I think a lot of times people are chasing the idea of like, I want to be happy. I want to be comfortable. I want to feel safe. I want to feel okay. But 
I don't know if everybody's passionate about that. Maybe some people are, but I don't know everybody. But, you know, I think that when, when you say follow the joy, yeah, it's follow that thing that, like, and, and it might not always fit, you know? Like, it might not always fit with what's, what's right. And I think that if we do what we think we're supposed to do, I don't know if that's always honoring and in integrity of our joy. Well, and the thing is, is that you can never know that. No. Right? Because otherwise you're basing what you want in your life on just some sort of a concept of something that happens down over here yeah. in your life. There's no presence to what your goal is. When you say, you know, follow the joy, well, that's something that you can act on immediately. Mm-hmm. What right now in your life will bring you joy that you can do right now that will just bring a little more joy into mm-hmm. your life? That's something you can do immediately. That's something that you can do at all moments in your life as opposed to, okay, well, I want to have this result over here. Well, for one, even if you get it or you, if you get it or not, you don't know if that's going to actually bring you joy. Right. You don't actually know that. I think, I think you're talking about, I didn't want to cut you off there, but I think you're talking about something that's really important here too, because if you're chasing a result, you don't, you don't really know. And the problem is, is that if you chase the result, you have one downside for sure, which is that that result, you might not get it. It might not actually work out the way that you were hoping. So you set yourself up to be upset. And the other thing is you might get it and you might actually not be as happy as you think you would be. That's why like in the moment, it's really important. And I think sometimes in the moment, if you just want to sit on the couch and watch some television and that's what you really want to do right now and you feel really content about that, I think that's okay. But I think also sometimes joy comes from doing something that's uncomfortable, even though immediately it might not seem that way. Like I was sharing, I think I shared this on the last podcast. I I did. Yeah. But I went to a party and I just introduced myself to everybody, which was really uncomfortable because I didn't know anybody there. And it was kind of a different crowd than I'm normally around. Um, but that felt really, really good to do that, to show up. And, and I, I actively chose to wear really bright colors too. So people would notice me. I couldn't hide because it's been something that sometimes I'll go to a party and I'll kind of sit on the wall a little bit. Recently, I've been doing this a little more. I've been kind of not really interacting with everyone. And so I was like, no, I want to talk to people. I want to get out there and I don't want to have any reason to hide. But that felt great in the moment. And you know what? The results turned out to be really cool too. But in the moment, I remember doing it and being like, no, this is what I really want to do. And it was extremely uncomfortable, but I could have stayed home and sat on the couch. I didn't have to go to the party. I could have done a variety of other things that would have been easier. But I think also follow the joy is not just follow the easiest thing, but it's follow the thing that, what do you really want to do right now? And, uh, and then go do that, you know, or, or go be that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that, 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 yeah, that works perfectly in hand. I mean, we're very often, we don't follow the things that we, we really love to do and, and we settle for the comfort. So sometimes, yeah, like following your joy is a little uncomfortable because it means, you know, it flies a little bit in the face of something that you think you should be doing. Mm -hmm. Right. But again, when you, when you just kind of look at it plainly like that, it just seems a little bit ridiculous, Mm -hmm. at least in my angle. (laughs) It's like, that seemed just that's, that's so stupid, you know, like, it's like, what are you, what are you really gaining? What are you really giving up? Like it's, yeah. Um, well, why don't you, since we have this little segue before we get into something else that's really deep, why don't you tell us about this beer? (laughs) This beer right here is from Central City, and, uh, this is their Cedar Plank Mm. Pale Ale, and, uh, I took a little snapshot of the, uh, write-up on it, 
It's uh, go five percent, thirty nine IBUs on the scale, so not not too crazy there. And the description is the Cedar Plank Pale Ale has a balance of malt character with hot bitterness and is infused with real cedar. Hmm. The cedar adds an earthy citrus spice to the beer for a truly northwest flavor. You know, I I personally, I'm just going to start, I really am enjoying this beer a lot. It's really, really tasty. And it's not, I think just because like, also like I find like my beers I'm finding because we've had, this is our fifth 44th podcast. So I've had a lot of beers now on this podcast. I find like on a cool day, like today, a beer like this is, is perfect. Cause it's actually kind of nice breeze out. And this is just really tasty, really full flavored. And, uh, yeah, I've mm-hmm. been really enjoying it on my second glass. Yeah. Me as well. yeah. It's yeah. rich and malty. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, it is. It's perfect for a day like this. Yeah. Like if it was, if it was like 30 degrees outside, which I don't know, for, uh, our American friends who might be listening, you know, it'd be about like 70, 75, 76 degrees Fahrenheit or something. <laughs> Maybe not the thing I would reach for, but yeah. on a, on a more mild day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is good. Well, you know, I, I, when, you, when you poured a glass of it and I kind of had that first whiff too, I was like, Oh, this smells good. And then I tasted it. It has like kind of a a sweetness to it. So anyway, thumbs up. On Brandon your, is, on your is choice sold today. on first whiff. Right. <laughs> sold first, on first whiff. First whiff. <laughs> yeah. So they didn't any takers it. on a joke there? No. No. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So let's well let's let's go back to kind of what we were talking about in the beginning about this, you know, coming of age in art. You know how we begin as artists and where we kind of evolve to. And you know I've noticed that a lot of people who I started acting with and started writing with and started making films with have dropped off. And they're us who have stayed with it and kept with it. And some who have picked it up later in life, um, I think we're doing it for different reasons than we were in the beginning. You know, in fact, I would, I, I would say just about every single person I know has evolved as a person, has changed, and their maturity about it is, is quite different, you know. But I remember when we started you know, our early 20s and our late teens and just how, I mean, let's just be straight, egotistical we all were, you know, and how about ourselves we all were and how mm-hmm. in a way kind of narcissistic, you know, and I don't think we even saw ourselves that way, but we all kind of were in that mode and it was all okay. But now as you get a little bit older, you start to think a little bit about more, more like, what am I doing with this? Like, what's the point? What, what's the effect I'm having? Mm-hmm. Like, why do I care? You know, like, cause now like in, you know, now where I'm at in my life, I, I mean, I can make money in a whole variety of different ways now, but I still like doing this. You know, I still yeah. get up in the morning. And it's the first thing I think about, you know, so I have to have a connectedness. So I, I'd love to hear you as a musician, how that's evolved for you. Oh, I mean, you have to, you have to sort of find it. Yeah. It's about finding that reason, finding the why, like, why are you doing this? It's, it's uh, because that is definitely going to change. And I mean, particularly like even just differentiating, you know, I'm, I'm 32 now, even I'm, I'm undergoing this next stage of, of like evolution where I'm now I'm getting to the point where like I have to make real adult decisions and like, I can't. I can't just sort of float around opportunity to opportunity, like just seeing what happens and being sort of footloose. I have to sort of 
really weigh out like what experiences are, are beneficial for me here are beneficial for like the longevity because obviously being any type of artist uh, is, is, is a struggle and you have to, but you know, you want to, you want to make the struggle easier the longer mm-hmm. you go or else you're at risk of not, not making it. I think we all sort of realize that at some point, like, you know, maybe I can stick it out for a few more years, but like, this is, you know, you got to have some sort of long-term plan if 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 this is your life if this is if you have decided this is what you want to do so i mean i think uh now i'm 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 coming into music with sort of more of a business angle and the fact that like okay i i need to bring the the business side of this and sort of these and the art together in one place that that is going to make some viable sense or else i don't know what's going to happen if i don't do this now it's now or never, right? I'm right. 32. I can't, I got, I got to start investing in something here and not just thinking, taking one off tours and things is really going to add up to something at the end. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's always the, the, the unfolding strategy of being an artist, right? You got to keep, keep, keeping the game. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely felt the pressures of kind of like, okay, well, you know, I, I'd like to have a family. I'd like to have some certain things, some consistencies in my life. I think as you get older, you kind of start thinking more that way. Um, but I was, I was wondering like, um, when you started, like, like it'd be great if we could kind of open up the discussion of the evolution of how we've all thought as artists, you know, like how did we think in the beginning? Because I mean, I just remember when I was really young, I was like, Oh, I'm just going to make it some point <laughs> I'm just gonna make a lot of money doing this or something I mean I remember there's a point in my life and then that didn't happen really and so I was like okay well I need to start being a little bit I need to change my thinking pattern you know mm-hmm. but um it's probably a generational thing you know like uh, the generation we grew up in was kind of like you're taught that you were valuable and special and that you would show up and that the world would love you and we all thought that and we didn't realize that everybody thought they were special and then so it's kind of like everybody's going into this like they're special. So it's a generational thing, probably for sure. <laughs> yeah. But um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we've we I think artistry helps you transcend that a little bit because you start to realize like, hey, like um, I thought this way, and and I think you learn a lot of humanity. Like one thing that I've learned a lot is that so this means if I thought I was special, that pretty much every other person that I was with at my age or my age range thought they were special too. And we've all, if I look around, most of us, I mean, even the people who got their TV show or got their whatever, we never, we haven't really made it the way that we all thought we would. Mm -mm. And so, um, we're all kind of learning a little bit of humanity. We're learning that we're not better than everybody else and that we're not some special thing and that we don't need to be special. And this I think is actually like, I think one of the beautiful things about uh, my generation, our generation really, that has kind of come is that people who get to this age start to have more of a brotherhood, sisterhood, family, because we all realize, hey, we're in this together. We all bought the same lie. And now, but we're artists (laughs) and we've stuck, we stayed in it in spite of that. Realizing, because that was the hardest lesson for me to accept as an artist. was like, wait a minute, I'm not special. I'm not more important. I'm not... Like, and I know it sounds so egotistical to say this, but I, I think that our generation was really raised to believe that we were special and we would all show up and the world would embrace us. And, um, we had to kind of learn through interaction with the world that it's like, no, it doesn't work like that. It's hard work and it's, you know, and, and sometimes it's a little <laughs> bit of good fortune, 
that yeah. that gets you that, you know? Yeah, you have to be aware of the smoke being blown. Yes. <laughs> be very wary of that yeah. smoke. <laughs> because it'll get you, you know? Like, yeah. I can almost remember, I can, I can rem- remember that feeling that you're talking about when yeah. I it was when I suddenly realized that what I did didn't matter. <laughs> when Ashley was like, wow, I play the clarinet, you know, I've been you know, working pretty hard at it, but who cares yeah. but me? And I think that was, I think that realization was followed by like maybe a little bit of like, you know, depression, sort of like, yeah. oh God, and you're just feeling the slag of the creative work, like just not feeling inspired and, um, yeah, and I, I think when I realized this, I was actually I had just started a residency at the at the BAM Center for the Arts. I had I, had, I was before this. Let me just back up a bit. I was living in Vancouver. I had kind of a falling out with Vancouver. I needed to go out and do things, so I moved to Montreal. Montreal just ate me alive and spit me back west. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I ended up in my parents' basement in Victoria for like nine months yeah. when I was in my early twenties. And with just kind of shell shock going like, wow, that was my big move to go make it in music, you know, and, and like, you know, nothing, just like (laughs) nothing happened. And here I am like, you know, with a big student loan and with my clarinet in my parents' basement and like no plan. So anyways, I, I I worked in a coffee shop. I saved up all the money I could. I, I, uh, and I, I blew it all in a residency at the BAM center. And I remember like I spent the first six weeks there you know, in the best place for creativity in the, in all of Canada. And I, I just, I couldn't do anything. I was just still in this rut of just, oh my God, like, what am I doing? And I remember, uh, taking a lesson with one of the visiting artists there, this guy, Phil Dwyer, who's a really renowned, you know, jazz saxophonist and composer and sort of went into to see him and I was kind of just giving him my little mope wham 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 poor me I'm uninspired blah 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 and he just totally just he just cracked me into shape with a few words you know he was just basically like look you're either a musician or you're not and if you are you get up at seven in the morning and you put in four or five hours a day on whatever you got to do you got to learn some software you got to practice but like this is my life. And if I don't get up and get to work every day and do it, I'm not a musician. So that's what I recommend to you. Like quit your whining, get to work. Right. Your, your, your art is your work. And if you're not doing it, then that's not part of the equation. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's very simple. You just got to get up and do it every day. You're not a victim. No, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's like, honestly, I think some of the best advice ever. What a great, what a great mentor and teacher. Oh, I, you know, gift, yeah. 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 Like I write, uh, and I, I share this before. I, I write every single day, no matter what I've written for 1419. Today is my 19th day. I just did my, before you guys came here. Um, and, uh, every single day, never miss a day, no matter what happens, no matter, doesn't matter. I always write. And I had a realization when this, when I took this turn was that I realized that if you wanted to be a writer, it meant you wrote. And that is the only defining factor. At the end of the... Charlie agrees. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> um, that's my cat, by the way, if you're new to the show. Um, <laughs> he's a regular character here. Stay yeah. silent. But anyway... Um, <laughs> Thumps around on occasion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you just write every single day. And um, 
It's, 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 it's an impact. You make an impact. If you write every single day, you, you, it's just a matter of time before things start working. Mm -hmm. And it really was. I mean, I think it was around my second year of writing straight that my career as a writer started to actually blossom. And I'd say like now it's almost four years and, um, we're getting close now and, um, yeah, and things are really happening now. And, uh, you know, but it's, it's a real patience and a diligence because there is this part of me that's like, I want it right now. You know what I mean? But, but I think that as artists, we all have to realize that we all have to put in a little time. And if you're just willing to put in time and I think there's room for everybody too. I don't, I don't think that there's a scarcity that we're bought to believe either. Um, I think that, you know, there's, I don't know. I think it's just this follow through of like, yeah, play music every day, get mm -hmm. up and, and write and mm -hmm. or get up and do your music mm -hmm. or whatever yeah. it is. Act, mm -hmm. you know, run some lines. Uh, you know, I've been, uh, actually another thing and I'm just, I know I'm a little rant here, but, um, because I've been kind of, I took a little bit of a break from acting and I've been kind of going, okay, I want to pick my acting back up. I want to, and I want to apply the lessons I've done with writing because writing has worked, but I just started, I started reading a play every week, no matter what with someone, just read a play every single week. And it's been a really great experience. We read it out loud. We try on the characters. We just play around and it's been a great experience because I'm like, man, if I did this every single day, just think about how far I would come as an actor. Cause I'm doing this once a week right mm -hmm. now. And that's a low commitment. But I'd say to those actors out there, just read a play out loud every single day with your friends. I mean, do it. I mean, I, I could just imagine how far you would come doing that. And there's everything is accessible plays and screenplays. Go to scriptorama.com, mm -hmm. scriptorama.com. You can just read screenplays, read them out loud. You know what I mean? And I'm sure, uh, maybe you have some references as a musician, but play your instrument every day. Yeah. Do, do whatever you got to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's, I think that's some of the best advice I've ever heard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just about taking those single positive steps. Like does this next step, whether that's writing an email or doing anything, does it right. contribute to the advancement of my whole <laughs> intention in life? And if it's yes, then do it. And it ma that, then it matters. Right. If it doesn't, then you can put it behind something else. Right. You know? That's great. Yeah. That's great. I think that's a good practical step, too, because, you know, I think about when I'm younger, I tried to beat myself up about this, but because I thought I was special, uh, <laughs> I didn't actually, in, in certain ways I worked hard, but in certain ways I didn't do the work I could have done had I known that if I just put in work every single day on a certain thing, I could become extremely proficient at it. For example, working on a certain voice, for example, a certain dialect, whatever, as an actor, mm -hmm. if you just practice that every day, it's not going to take very long. You're going to have that dialect down. And now you have that ability as an actor. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that, you know, I think back to my time as an actor, as a young man, and I think, why did I ever wait until class to start working? Why didn't I work for the next six days in between that class? You know what I mean? Like, I remember scraping together every penny I had just to be in acting class when I was like 17, but I would rehearse with my partners, but, and I would read books in the meantime, but like I could have worked on specific skills every single day, but I kind of was under the belief that if I just go to acting class, do really well, whatever, eventually one day people are going to see that I'm the guy and you know, course. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not the you case. Know, I mean, for anybody really. The, the thing is, is that 
there's in some ways, like, even if you could, you know, say to like your younger self, like, Hey, like you do these things, like the kind of crap that your parents and your mentors were telling your teachers were telling you to do, (laughs) you wouldn't have even listened. So there's a degree to which it's like, well, how fast can you learn? And, and in some ways you've got to make these mistakes because yeah, like coming out of high school, I thought I was something kind of special too. You know, it was just like, you know, I, I came out of school. I'd, I'd won like for the last like couple years, I won like the senior acting awards, like for, for, you know, for the whole school. I got like a scholarship, um, for my acting. I also won the fine arts award. So for all of the arts departments in my high school, like I was sort of, I won this award for being an outstanding artist. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I'm getting out of here, man. I'm going to just like start booking roles and like, I'm on my way. Well, and it's, and it's just like, it's, and man, it's just like, like rock bottom is a college education yeah. as I once heard, you know, <laughs> and because you, you know, eventually you find yourself in a place where you're just like, what the hell? Like none of this stuff that I thought that was coming for me has come, mm-hmm. you know, like I've had some shots at it and I've beat myself up as much as I can beat myself up for whatever mistakes I can. And here I am. Right. And what am I doing here? And now I'm back at this why question. Right, right. Why am I doing this thing? Right. Mm. And, and yeah, and sometimes even the practicality of things, like what you were saying with, you know, Hey, like I'm, I'm getting older and if I'm going to do this, what's my plan? Like how, how am I going to continue to be doing the things that I'm doing to be in the community that I want to be with, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it seems like on the surface, like, and when I was younger, you would probably look at it. It's like, well, well now you're just making a compromise, you know, like it seems like a compromise, but my experience like right now in my life is that like, man, I'm just getting so much deeper into that. Why I'm getting so much deeper into how much I care about the things that I've been doing that I didn't have an understanding of, you know, that's not to say that my love of, of acting, even though when I was young, it was very much like it was a place where people liked me for it. Even like that was sort of what I saw. It's like people liked me for doing this. Right. And, mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. was, you know, and, and people applauded me for this and it was like, okay, so I want to just keep on that, that track. And I want to just be applauded for the rest of my life, yeah. <laughs> the rest of my life. And it's like, well, the things people applaud because you entertained them, you know, it's like, and there was a certain degree to which I was very present with the thing that I was doing because that's just the thing that I would naturally do that was bringing this, but I was focused on the wrong thing. You know, I was focused on, on the accolades as opposed to the thing that I was doing. The moment. Yes. The moment and the, and the entertainment, the joy that I was Mm -hmm. bringing to people Mm -hmm. through what I was doing. And now it's like coming full circle. You know, they say it's like, go, you go through, you go through the journey and the learning to come back to where you start and know it for the first time. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's kind of where I feel like personally as an artist, where I'm, where I'm kind of at now. And I'm just like, wow, I feel like I know the thing that I've been doing for years. And I feel like now I'm, I'm learning it again. Well, that's a brand new understanding of what I do. That's the beauty. I know you're going to say something there, but, um, is that I think that's ultimately the lesson is that you realize that you had to go through this journey 
to come back to the same place you really were. But what's beautiful about this place is that you realize I get to start again, but now I get to start with this awareness because I mean, you know, when you look like as an artist, sometimes I look back in the past and I go, man, if only I did this when I was younger, but I didn't have this awareness I had now. Right. But now, um, you can restart, you can begin your career again, but from a new place, from a place of wisdom, from a place of experience. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'd say that, you know, um, I think we have a lot of pressure on ourselves to like, you need to like get out of high school, go to college and be a success. You know what I mean? But you don't have any life experience when you're a young man, you know, or a young woman, you don't, you don't have that. Right. So you're, you, you know, so for people to say, you need to know your career and you need to know what you're going to do for the rest of your life. <laughs> like, and you're 18 years old, like, yeah. or, or even if you're, even if you're in your late twenties or whatever, I mean, the thing is, is like, who says you need to know, you don't need to know yet, you know, like, cause it's your life and no one needs to tell you what to do. But but that's the thing is like what you said, Evan is like, yeah, where all the life experience you had has brought you to the point. But what's great is that if we can let go of the past and begin again from today, we can begin with all that experience. And I think that one of the things that I've been trying to do for myself is just unhook the past from me. Stop any regrets I have, any, any things that where I think I made a poor choice or I didn't do what I thought I should do is let that go because that's what I need to do to get to here. And I have to remember that if I would have got what I wanted, what I thought I wanted, I would not have this wisdom and experience and knowledge that I have today because it doesn't, you don't get both. You get one or the other, mm-hmm. you know, you either get the external reward or you get the internal reward. Um, often in life, I'd say very rarely do you get both, at least in my experience. And someone can argue me on that, but I think very rarely. And so the, the internal reward you get is invaluable. The external reward, you can put a price on that. But if you make the external reward after you've gotten the internal reward, it can become priceless too. That's, that's mm-hmm. what I have started to notice, you know? Yeah. Cause I think about myself, if, if I would have succeeded the way I'm succeeding now as a writer, when I was like 20, <laughs> my ego would have been like ridiculous. Well, it's <laughs> it been so yeah. bad. You know? Well, you, you saw the need to, you saw the need to change and adjust. Right. And it's like you need, I think as you get older, you learn that it's okay to change your dreams. You have to like, I think that was a big thing. Like for me is, is like you, you have these attachments to this image of what you're going to be. And you really cling to that. And you, cause, cause you, you hear all these things about, well, you just got to be determined. You got to be steadfast and go for your dream and never give up. But it's like, no, that's true sometimes, but sometimes, you know, you got to change the dream a little bit. You got to adjust it. Right. And you got to, you know, you're talking about letting go of these, pa- these past attachments. I think it's very much like that is something you have to do. It's like, it's a lot like editing a script or a score. It's like, you gotta, you gotta learn that like adjusting and changing things is okay. And like, mm. that's part of growing is right. You know? And yeah. And, and I think that also, you know, by changing your, your interpretation of what your dream is and altering it, that, that isn't giving up. I think that we have this idea. I mean, at least I did for a long time was that if I stopped going after this thing I've been going after for so long, that that means I'm giving up. And it doesn't mean you're giving up. I think it means that you're more reality based, you're more experienced. Um, and it's not about being like a realist or a pessimist. It's about going at it and saying, I thought I wanted this, but I don't know if I really want this. You know what I mean? Like, 
like the hardest, one of the hardest decisions I ever made in my life. And it's, it's been so challenging for me as a person, but was to step away from acting for basically a year was to everything I've earned and all the, you know, the, the getting everything that I've gotten with it. And I booked more work in my last year of acting than I booked in my entire career, but to stop, cause I could have been like, no, no, I'm booking a lot. I should, I should keep doing this. But to stop was so important for me because I, I stopped identifying myself as an actor. And I think now I can go back to acting as a place of like acting something I love. It's not who I am, but it's something I love. Like, just like for you, you might be a great musician, but you are not necessarily a musician. You are music is something you do. You might do it really well, Mm -hmm. but it is not all you are. But for a lot of my life, I was an actor in my opinion. That's all I was. And that was my value. And that's where I came from. And, uh, you know, if, if I remember people saying like, you know, you're a really good writer, like when I was younger, cause I used to write a lot and I used to say, well, I can't write because that means giving up on acting. I was so attached to it that even expressing myself in another art meant giving up meant giving on me. <laughs> who my identity was. So that's why I said, you know what? I'm literally going to, I'm going to stop acting for one year. I'm going to just stop it. And I'm going to commit to writing just so I can push on who I think I am. And what I, ex- what I experienced in this last, like almost year is basically I'm an artist. I, I, I'm just someone who's expressive, who likes to create. That's, that's, that's a quality I have, but it's not me. You know what I mean? I'm not, you know, and I think that that detachment when I, as I come back into acting now, it's going to be something that I come from a, from a very peaceful, very holistic place, not a very like sensitive kind of caught up place mm-hmm. that I was in, you know? Yeah. But I think this is the evolution of, this is the evolution of us as artists. You know, we need to, in a way, detach from our art. We talked about this in our last podcast, but. So in a way it's like, it's, it's really being, being conscious of that. You know, it's like, you don't necessarily need to go through like maybe the, the years of, (laughs) of struggle that we did. But like, if you can have the awareness of, it's like, you know, learn your lessons, you know, as they're happening and don't, and don't be shackled to, to the past, you mm-hmm. know, like you're, you're infinite, like you're infinite in your possibility, totally. you know, and you're just yeah, like, and yeah. to tie yourself to, to some concept that you held on to when you were, when you were a teenager or something like it's, it's a little bit, I don't know. It's, it's like, it's romanticized. It's yeah. romanticized yeah. and it's a little bit, insane. Yeah. Like it, there's a m- mild degree of insanity to all of it, the you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, when you think about where your mind was at, yeah. you know, when you were a young person with your dreams and, and again, I don't want to say that those are baseless. Like I had dreams of being an actor when I was then, but that hasn't gone away. You know, it's just like, I'm, I'm still, that's still something that I do. That's still something that I'm very passionate about. That, that hasn't gone away. It's just that yeah, my why for it has, has gone to a different, has gone to a different place, Mm -hmm. you know, because I realized that the thing that I actually wanted now, I actually realized that that whole image that I had created for myself (laughs) of this dream is something that now I'm just like, I don't want want that anymore. Yeah. I don't want that. That sounds terrible. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be involved with this world that I, that at that time I thought that I'd want it. I don't want to be now that I know certain things about what that would mean, 
Mm. You know, before I didn't know what that would really mean, which is why, again, I, I want to come back to this thing of like, follow your joy, you know, because that's something that you can be present with. That's something you can actually be involved with every single day. You don't have to wait for that to happen. You know, you can, you can actively do that because you could come along and, and here, I'm doing it again, Brandon. I'm doing it again. <laughs> but Jim Carrey said this thing <laughs> yeah. and you might be getting sick of me, but guy. I'm going to keep hammering this thing away until message. people grab onto this. But he said, I hope you get everything that you ever wanted to realize that it's not what you wanted. And it's just, and, and it's so true because so much of these things that we think that we want were based on some concept, some egotistical idea of this is what success is. And this is what my happiness is, is when I'm, you know, living in this house up in Beverly Hills and I'm sitting by the pool and blah, like, Hey, that's great. That's freaking great. Don't like, there's nothing right or wrong about that. But if you think that just that sort of external type of, of thing is what's going to make you happy, it's not. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many, how many self-destructive artists have, have we seen who seem to have had it all and yet they can't stop themselves from imploding? Yeah. Like it comes like that comes from, from that joy and following the joy and you know, you come to a place where you realize that that's not going to give it to you. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, get like, give that kind of crap up because you don't, you don't know. But mm-hmm. right now you might have a bit of an idea in every single moment of what will bring you a little bit more joy into your life. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I'm, this is some, this is a principle that I'm trying to live more in my life as I'm coming to understand it. But it's like, you know, if I keep following that, if I just keep following these little pieces of joy, it's going to take me to wherever it's going to take me. Mm-hmm. But it's led me down. Like, how could, how could that actually lead me down the wrong path? Mm-hmm. How could that actually re- lead me down the wrong path? Right. No, because you'll have lived a life of joy. And yeah. And that's, that's the important thing. You know, I was thinking uh, about Muhammad Ali passed away. Right? Mm-hmm. But, um, well, by the time people hear this, it'll have been a way later. But um, anyway, uh, he was not just a boxer. He was someone who stood up for human rights and, and you know, um, African-Americans and, and just, uh, he stood up against society, he stood up against the, you know, the American government and everything. And then... You, my oppressor. <laughs> yeah. That's one of my favorite, favorite things for any sort of interject. <laughs> that was so good. Well, he's, Anyhow. yeah, and he's an amazing, he's, he was an amazing human being because of that. Because if his art, if his boxing had defined him... He probably would have gone to Vietnam. He probably would have done all that stuff because he needed to, you know, whatever. But, you know, for him, I think that that's why you'll remember him as a boxer. Like, there's so many other heavyweight champions that there have been. But you remember Muhammad Ali not just because he was the best boxer. And I think that's the confusion. A lot of people believe that we remember him because he was the greatest. But it wasn't because he was the greatest. It was because of what he stood for as a human being. It's because of what he said. I mean, he changed the world. And, you know, when you look at all, all the videos from his passing away, yeah, there's some videos that are posted about some of the great fights he had and kind of his charisma in the ring. But there's, if not just as many, if not more, 
videos that are of him speaking about what he thinks and how, how he saw the world. And um, I think as artists, we're the same way. I mean, we have so much more than just our art. You know, it's, uh, we have this whole expression and integrity. You know, I think that's the whole point of this podcast is for us to keep grinding away and trying to figure out what are we really all about? You know, what is the universal sort of message? Yeah. It's like why Muhammad Ali's words have so much weight still. It's because it's their universal themes. And I think maybe, yeah, if you're making, if you're a creative type and you're making something like you're looking, just, you want to find those elements in what you do and not worry about maybe the specifics of it. But if it communicates, you know, on the broader sense than like a plus to you. Yeah. You know, totally. And even if it doesn't, even if you're, I think even if your points of view are not, you know, I think that's the other thing too, is like, well, people could say, well, everyone listens to what he says because he was so good at what he did. He had the medium of the media to want to hear what he had to say. But I think no doubt he worked really hard at what he was Mm -hmm. trying to do. But I think still, could you imagine, I mean, if any, if you don't know about Muhammad Ali, I'm just going to share just in case the audience doesn't know, he became the greatest or like heavyweight championship title fighter. And they said, you're not going to be able to fight for three years or whatever. We're going to put you in prison for X years because you won't go to Vietnam. And he was willing to give that up. That would be like if, if you won an Oscar, for example, or a Grammy in music or Oscar in, in film or whatever. And they said, you got to give that thing up to stand up like, or do this thing we want you to do. And he said, you know, I'll give that up. I'll give up my title belt. I'll give up whatever mm-hmm. because that's not as important as what I stand for. Mm-hmm. And I think as artists, we need to remember that, that accolade, that award, that thing that we think we want is not as important as what we have inside of us. Absolutely. You know? yeah. 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 Great point. Yeah. Wow. This, this talk went on quite a journey again. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, indeed. Do you guys want to wrap it up? How do yeah, you feel? I think that, uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. We've covered some territory today. Let's let that all sink in. Yeah, it's been a good one. Um, well, it's been a good one for me. Um, do you guys have any points that... So after the end of the podcast, we usually like to try and figure out what was the what was the, stand, the standout point for you that really stood out in this conversation? Or a couple of them. Well, yeah. I mean, I think we, we, did, we did touch on this process of young artist to mature artist and all things in between. Yeah. <laughs> the journey. Yeah, yeah. The, the coming of age, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, I mean, for me, I think, um, is, uh, I would just say like you, you actually raised the point. It was the thing that stood out for me. And I would say, I don't know if we ever really shared this, but what your teacher or your person at Mm -hmm. Banff told you was that, you know, you get up at seven and you do your music or you do your art. And I think that that is really, whatever that is, whatever time you get up, I don't know, even if you get up at noon, get up and do your art, make, make it about that your every day, because just do something to, to forward yourself. Right. And you also pointed out about, do I need to call this person or do this thing or whatever? And does that forward my career? And I think if I could leave artists with anything is that, you know, you don't have to mature in your artistry yet to necessarily do this one lesson, but I think that's the most valuable lesson you can have. It's just every single day, do something mm-hmm. that forwards your career and don't wait for permission. Don't wait for an opportunity to do it. Don't wait for an audition. Don't wait for a gig don't wait for anything. Do it today on your own terms. Because when you get older, you're going to start to realize that there's not always, there's not always everyone there helping facilitate that opportunity. 
and maybe you've already realized at a younger age, but I, you know, whatever, I think that, and it's never too late to begin that, you know, because I mean, I, I, I've been writing for a long time, but I didn't really start writing every single day until, you know, four years ago. You know what I mean? There was a lot of my career before where I didn't. And I'd say that it only took about two years before things started really happening, but I did it every single day, no matter what. So that was a big lesson. You know, that's a big lesson for me. That's if I could share that with a younger person, I would say, that's the one thing you need to know. Just do something every single day that forwards whatever you want. Yeah. And make sure you, you check in with yourself that it is forward moving and not comfort driven or I'd like to do this. Yeah. And if you do that, yeah. you will be surprised yes. at how far you make it Yeah. in a relatively short amount of time in years speak. Yes. Yeah. Evan, you got one? Yeah. I mean, we <laughs> kind of covered a lot of it here where it's, you know, just to, just to add on to that, um, you know, like the why, you know, mm-hmm. the why of what you're doing, um, you know, continually like, and really think about that, like really try and connect, really try and get beyond the, uh, the idea of some, event of some thing that you want to have, like what, like what, like try and keep it present. Keep that why right now. Why are you doing this right now? Mm -hmm. You know, in your life, not why are you doing it for this way over here right now? Um, and yeah, and, and also don't be, don't be afraid to let go of the concepts that you held when you like from the past, Mm -hmm. let it go. You're a different person today than you are now, you know, like physically we have entirely new cells. We don't have every seven years. Yeah. There's not a, there's not a cell that we had previous in the previous seven years. Like we're a completely physically new people, you know, like to, so we, we change so much, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the course of our lives. So let go of the things that aren't working for you anymore mm-hmm. and grab onto the things that are and grab onto the joys that are working for you right now as well. So yes. I guess, yeah. yeah, that's it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. And, and, and that, uh, that connected to the moment too is like, you know, I think like for writing every day, like, you know, I've, I just want to cap it with this point is that I've had a lot of people since I've told them, you know, people, people know if they follow me on social media, they know I write every single day, but I've had people come to me and say, that's so hard what you do. It's so difficult. But I would say that every day I do, I'm in the moment. I don't think about where my writing is going to get me, but I literally, I make my day. I say at some point today, what I, that's the first decision I make. What point will I write today? You know, and I really love it while I'm writing. Sometimes it's really hard, but I think you need to be in the moment. I'm just trying to write this today. It doesn't mean that what I write today is going to be this big thing tomorrow, but this is what I'm trying to write today. And I think that goes for music, goes for acting, it goes for any, any art you're drawing. It doesn't matter. But I think that we need to really be in that moment of like, why am I doing this today? I really love doing this. And if you practice loving what you do in that moment every single day, I think you build that thought in your mind that I'm doing this because I love it. Not because I have to, not because I think it's good for me, not because I think it'll get me somewhere because I'm doing this today because I love this. And this is, you know, and I think when you take that, uh, that pressure of the result off of, you start to go, yeah, this is what I want to do right now. Cause what's the alternative? What would you do instead? Right. And so then it becomes less of an obligation and more of a choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Perfect. Well, thanks, Sam. Yeah, thanks for coming me. on. And uh, yeah, your insight and your you really brought something into this one. This has been uh, really great. So uh, right on. Thank you very much, Skim Milk. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, man. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.